Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the speculation continues as Justin Trudeau prepares to unveil the federal cabinet this week. Regional representation obviously is of paramount importance in this selection process, given the fact that uh, there are no Liberal MPs west of Winnipeg. Who will support the minority government when Parliament resumes next month? If they want to pass something national that benefits all Canadians, They've got really two options for a national party. They can choose to work with the Conservatives, that's a choice that they can make, or they can work with us. And the sparring continues between Jason Kenney and Yves-Francois Blanchet. Now some people are saying I should just ignore this guy, that he's not relevant. Guess what? He's the leader of the third largest party in the Parliament of Canada. He controls the balance of power with the federal government. Whether we like it or not, he is relevant. It's Monday, November 18th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by author and op-ed columnist for the Chronicle Herald, Dan Legere. Good morning, Dan. Hi, Mark. So we're counting down to the announcement of the new federal cabinet on Wednesday. Uh, already some small items have kind of become apparent, like the fact that it will be a larger cabinet than in the past, certainly larger than the one that Justin Trudeau unveiled four years ago. Uh, it looks like Bill Morneau is going to stay at finance. What else are you hearing as we uh, as we get ready for this big announcement? Well, those sound like two of the very few sort of sure things. I mean, this uh, Byzantine process of creating a cabinet, which uh, you know has tested prime ministers going back to Confederation, probably um, it's more tricky now. Uh, certainly with. Uh, the Trudeau government's emphasis on gender balance uh, in the cabinet, that's going to make his selection process more complicated than perhaps other times. Um, but it's just another factor, and prime ministers have their priorities. Regional representation obviously is of paramount importance in this selection process, given the fact that uh, there are no Liberal MPs west of Winnipeg. Um, so the the challenge, I think, the, the paramount challenge we're going to see, I think, in this whole cabinet-making process is to find a credible representative to speak for the Trudeau Liberals in the West. And, uh, you know, I mean, even people like Christia Freeland of uh, Western roots, and I think anybody who's, uh, you know, granddad came from Alberta may end up uh, with a look-in on the cabinet. So... Uh, it will be interesting to see. I mean, that's the one thing that I'm really looking for uh, over everything else is how he approaches the West. It's a little bit like when the Olympics roll around and um, uh, there are hockey players who were born and raised in Canada but have heritage in some other country and they end up on the uh, Olympic hockey team of that country, which they've uh, perhaps never even been to in their lives. But uh, but it could be a little bit like that. Um, what about people like Christia Freeland and Catherine McKenna, high-profile members of the previous cabinet? Uh, there, there's talk they might stay in their current jobs, uh, and there's talk that they might be switched to other portfolios as well. Well, I think there's a strong argument to keep Christia Freeland where she is, at least until the North American free trade matter is settled one way or the other. Obviously, uh, you know, the, the, a lot of hard sledding has already taken place in the fact that they've managed to reach this deal unratified so far, this USMCA, as Trump likes to call it, or COSMA, as we like to call it in Canada. And uh, 
this is this has to be stick handled through to its uh, conclusion, whether it's going to be concluded as a three country agreement or some other thing. So, you know, Freeland has mastered that file, and I think is the best person to lead that through. That's just my opinion. Um, Catherine McKenna, you know, you can't fault her work ethic or commitment to the cause, but it may be time to change the face of the uh, uh, Liberal government's climate focus. Uh, I think Catherine McKenna is obviously a very capable person who could probably function in any number of, uh, of cabinet portfolios, but it may be time to just put somebody else in that position who doesn't have as much scar tissue uh, from the last round of fighting over carbon taxation, et cetera, and uh, someone who can perhaps reach out again with the idea of, uh, of getting to some of the problems that exist in the West and addressing those. And on this issue of uh, lack of representation in the Liberal caucus from Alberta and Saskatchewan and the need to have a voice at the table. Do you think that gets addressed this week with the cabinet, or is is there perhaps some other means at the disposal of the prime minister to uh, to have a voice from uh, Alberta and Saskatchewan in his ear? Yeah, there are other means, and I should correct my earlier statement. Yes, there are MPs, Liberal MPs, west of Winnipeg, but you have to get all the way out to Vancouver right. to find them. <laughs> um, so, but I mean, you could give a watching brief to sort of Western issues to some uh, to one of the MPs or one or more of the MPs from British Columbia. Um, they don't always share exactly the same interests. Obviously, uh, that's the way provincial federal dynamics work. But um, there are other mechanisms available. Other governments, including conservative governments, in the past have uh, taken people from the Senate. Uh, for instance, that's one option. Um, they they could find other they could appoint somebody, for instance, uh, to the Senate and then put them in the cabinet. That's been done in the past. It's perfectly legal. Obviously, any of these alternatives are far less uh, appealing and less effective than having uh, a strong political representation in every part of the country. But that's not what the Liberals have. The people decided otherwise. So they are going to have. They are really facing the double challenge of finding a way to credibly represent the West uh, with somebody who can really forcibly make these very serious issues, uh, you know, make these cases at the cabinet table for the for the next couple of years. All right. In a couple of weeks, we're going to have a throne speech. And of course, uh, last week there were meetings between the prime minister and the leaders of the opposition parties. And one of the questions that arose from that repeatedly was, what will it take for you to support the government? Uh, I wonder to what extent uh, Justin Trudeau actually needs uh, somebody else to be a supporter, whether it's Jagmeet Singh, whether it's the Bloc Québécois. Uh, he's, you know, we're in a dynamic where nobody wants another election, and and it is such a large minority government situation uh, that the the prime minister doesn't need a lot of support to put him over the top. Isn't it unlikely that we're going to see a throne speech or a budget voted down anytime soon, no matter what political posturing might be going on? Yeah, that's right. And I mean, you know, if if the throne speech ends up being a bunch of bland bromides that nobody disagrees with, well, don't be surprised, because this is not the time for the minority government in its first meeting of the new parliament to go out and, and, and march around as if it were a majority 
And I do think that all of these uh, deals will be made on a case-by-case basis. And in other words, you won't find uh, a formal agreement, I don't think, of any kind there. No one will admit to it if there is. And they will go ahead as best they can. I mean, let's face it, there's no great mystery about the NDP's point of view on on how things should work in Canada. The Liberals understand it very well, and, and the Liberals have a long history of stealing NDP ideas and making them national policy. So I think they'll find many ways to get along there. And, and I think they also have to make it possible for Jagmeet Singh to claim victories here and there along the way and um, you know, to, to make it clear that his people's voices are being heard. Um, the same goes, I guess, but maybe to a lesser degree with the Bloc, because the Bloc really will be, as always, aiming to make mischief and uh, and create, you know, open manhole covers for the feds to fall into. So, um, you know, but it will be tricky. It will be dicey. It'll be a challenge to Trudeau's uh, diplomacy and his ability to build consensus. Um, and uh, I think it's also a challenge to Jagmeet Singh, a huge challenge to him, because, uh, you know, he's not in a position for an election. And he has to be careful to avoid being uh, trapped into one. All right. And speaking of Yves-François Blanchet, the leader of the Bloc Québécois, there's been a lot of back and forth between him and Western Canadian premiers, particularly Alberta Premier Jason Kenney, over the last week. What do you make of that and and what it means for the current political landscape in Canada? Well, uh, you know, Jason Kenney is an extremely experienced politician. He's been around the Bloc. He knows that he knows situations in Quebec better than almost any, well, better than any Western premier, for sure, because Kenny has the, the federal experience that none of the others have. Uh, but the Bloc is a mischief-making organization. It is not a party dedicated like the NDP or the Conservatives or the Liberals or the Greens, even, it, to building a greater Canada. It's there to wreck Canada or, or, or make mischief and, and make the country as ungovernable as possible. And it may have momentary uh, times where it, it wants to agree with what the federal government wants, because it also fits the aims of its pro-Quebec and Quebec-only or Quebec-first kind of uh, movement. But, um, you know, th- this is not a reliable ally. And also, Kenny should not get into these, um, I'll say, wars of words uh, with Blanchet because it's he's playing into the Quebec separatist fold or the Quebec separatist uh, game plan, and uh, he may Blanchet might be a useful foil for encouraging anger among Albertans, which seems to be a priority for Kenny right now. Uh, separatist sounding talk, but um, this can't end well, and it's really posturing on both sides. So uh, I think Jason Kenny would be well advised to. Uh, spend his time in dialogue with uh, people who can actually make something better for Alberta, not for Blanchet, who's only going to make it worse. All right, Dan, I appreciate your thoughts today. Thank you very much for joining us. Okay, Mark. That's Dan Legere, author and op-ed columnist for the Chronicle Herald. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. At globalnews.ca, Matthew Fisher considers three ominous policy challenges awaiting Canada's new parliament. Fisher writes, China's emerging military and economic power, Russia's mischief in the cyber domain, and Canada's habitual problems with defense procurement. 
There was almost no discussion of these during the election campaign. Given how little any of the parties are interested in such issues, it may be too much to hope that elected officials will finally begin to publicly discuss how they intend to defend Canada against the emerging threats that they have been warned about. In the Toronto Star, Susan Delacorte argues a Liberal NDP coalition may depend on two women behind the scenes. Delacorte writes, The long history between Katie Telford, Chief of Staff to the Prime Minister, and Anne McGrath, who is in charge of transition for Jagmeet Singh, may bode well for a working relationship between the Liberals and the NDP. Both have been working at cooperation between the two parties much longer than either of their current leaders have. If Trudeau and Singh manage to get a working relationship going in this minority parliament, it could be because two of the key players behind the scene have remained the same. In an editorial, the Globe and Mail argues it's time for the federal government to act on e-cigarettes. The Globe writes, There is much debate over what to do about the rise in teens sucking nicotine-laced vapors into their lungs. B.C. has responded with proposals including increasing taxes on vaping products and banning advertisers in places frequented by youths. Other provinces are cracking down too. But the regulation of the manufacture, sale and promotion of vaping products falls to Health Canada. If its rules are being ignored, it should toughen the consequences. Now let's look at what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The Prime Minister will welcome the King of Jordan for a brief visit to Canada. CPAC's Martin Stringer has more. Mark, this morning, Prime Minister Trudeau is welcoming Jordan's King Abdullah II to Ottawa. This is King Abdullah's fifth visit to Canada, and the two countries have a lot of bilateral ties to discuss. On the international safety and security front, Canada and Jordan have both been active and founding members of the Christchurch Agreement, which is aimed at eliminating terrorist and violent extremist content online. Also, both countries have been working on something called the Aqaba Process, which is led by King Abdullah, which aims at countering radicalization and terrorism and extremist ideologies. Also on the development front, Canada has been committing significant funding to help Jordan provide a safe haven for almost 700,000 registered Syrian refugees, as well as other displaced people fleeing uh, conflict throughout the Middle East. King Abdullah and Prime Minister Trudeau will both be available for a brief photo opportunity at the beginning of their meetings this morning. Thanks, Martin. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Monday, November 18th. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.